It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBOC.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Oh, well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And hello, everybody. Uh, Sorry, I was a couple of minutes late. Uh, it's good to have the right link in the right calendar. Uh, well, everybody, uh, it's our weekly gatherings. Good to see so many great people here. And today, Jeremy, we're going to talk about should companies outsource their talent assessment processes? Um, interesting that this topic comes up. Uh, <laughs> working in a little municipality here, they're about to hire somebody that I'm going to be working directly with. I had some questions. I'm like, hey, can I be part of the interview process? Well, no, we already have three people. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, but I'm the kind of expert that's going to be working with this person. But that's just not their policy. So I'm not sure business does a really good job at this. What do you think? <laughs> you know, it's almost like companies... See, assessment process, there's so many new things that are going on with it. And it's very exciting and it's very interesting. There's so many companies that are still very much stuck and and afraid to move forward in any way. Um, I was doing research on, you know, performance reviews. I mean, there's, it's hard to find any kind of actual study that says, hey, performance reviews actually work when they're tied to competency. And it looks like only 1% of companies in the U.S., just one percent don't use a standard perform, you know, performance review process. You know, we're making a parallel here, and those are usually a lot of those are startups, and who knows if they even have a, a, a real program either. So it's really hard for for organizations to get away. The thing that the first thing that you said is it's not our policy, right? With with the municipality that you're working with, and that you know, once you get into that, it's how do you, um, you know, so we're going to talk about talent assessment processes today, and should they be outsourced? You know, it'll be interesting to see if the company moves towards, okay, well, if we decide to keep our minds open to that kind of thing, how do we get buy-in? We also might decide that, hey, it's not a good idea. So how do we, you know, who knows what what direction we'll take? So in that regard, we might say, all right, well, if that's the case, how do we get buy-in to move it all in-house? So we'll see how how the conversation goes. It'll be interesting. You're on mute. Well, I'm starting off on the, I think it should be outsourced side of this discussion because what if there's personal 
issues going on between myself and the person in the organization doing the assessment. Um, <laughs> Linda Ann, I'd love to go to you first, because with your HR background, you must deal with this sort of thing all the time. Are you talking about outsourcing um, the assessments? Well, just the, the, the idea of doing assessments of employees. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure with your background if you've actually had to conduct some of those assessments or if that was run through HR. But do you want to keep that in-house or do you think it's a better idea to outsource that? I think it's a, the best idea is to have somebody qualified do the assessment whether that's in-house or out-house, if, if the person inside, you know, doesn't have the qualifications to properly do the assessment, then it, the tool is a waste of time and money, you know, if it's not properly done and properly evaluated. So I think that, you know, whatever the resources are for the company, if they've decided to do an assessment, it has to be done by the, the most qualified person available to them. So and I don't think that human resources people are typically qualified for that. And it might just be fine, those people. Um, Jeremy, did you want to say something? Yeah, I did. So I, I, I caught something in the chat. You know, how are we defining assessments? And that that's good because that's good to start out with because Linda Ann makes a great point. You know, you have to have the most qualified people do it who also, you know, have a really good, have a, a fairly good to really good understanding of the, the company culture and what they're they're looking for. But, you know, looking at, you know, any kind of acquired skills and knowledge assessments, work behavior assessments, we're looking at work simulations, um, so in some cases, physical ability tests, behavioral interviews, uh, and there's integrity tests, there's personality tests, there's cognitive ability tests, there's situational judgment tests, um, there's, all, there's writing assessments. So there's all kinds of different tests. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of us here today, we look at the predictability um, uh, of these and how does, how is that actually going to translate? Especially if you're, you know, if you're a recruiter, you're, you know, no matter what, if you're, you, if you're basically, if you're listening and you do this for a living, your job is on the line either way. So you, so you want to make sure that you get it right. Either partner with the right people or, um, or outsource for that. But, um, I just wanted to provide some of that clarification and other people might have other thoughts or examples too. So please feel free to share Tom back over to you. Well, thank you, Jeremy and Lee. We're going to come to you in a second, but I, you know, I just got to say that if I'm leading a team, I need to be able to do assessments. Maybe not, you know, the type of assessment that we're talking about today, but I need to have some knowledge to assess how my team is put, you know, is working together. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, Tom, my impression when I saw this topic was performance assessment. You know, and of course, Jeremy brought up some really good stuff about all the other types of assessments. But when I was thinking about this, about doing a performance assessment, whether it's internal or external, I think what I've seen is the biggest problem organizations have is a lack of documentation. Because if you have someone outside of the direct you know, chain there, they have no idea what you're doing. And oftentimes the boss doesn't know what you're doing. Uh, I mean, that was uh, that was a common thing, you know, in, in the Navy was that I had to provide what I was doing because my boss didn't know because we didn't work directly together on a, on a daily basis. And if you were to outsource this, you would have to have stellar documentation for the, the outside person to be able to accurately judge anything. Uh, well, I'm, I'm quite interested if there's any lessons we can learn from the military, do, do, you, 
do you think that's a good model, Lee, for us to be at least taking a look at? And then, Sarah, I'm going to come to you with the same question. Well, I know that, you know, as I was retiring, the Navy was looking at completely retooling their assessment process because it was it, it, it's broken. Let's just put it that way. It's done once a year. Um, you provide your own input, at least you get senior you do because they don't necessarily know what you're doing. And then they're comparing people and they compare people across different jobs and different places that really in different jobs that have no real comparison to each other. And, and that's, that's an issue. And the way that, that we did it, we're supposed to be doing it was a, a mid-year counseling session and then an end of year uh, assessment. When I say end of year, we had a, there was a schedule based on your, you know, when it was done was based on your rank. But in uh, a lot of people, you roll up at the end of the year and, and you're trying to figure out what the heck to write down because I know I did something. And people who don't take good notes are, are struggling. And then you have you have people, you know, oftentimes the person actually rating your performance, you know, they don't even necessarily, you know, in big organizations, don't even necessarily know who you are. You know, I was in one organization where the commanding officer was a two-star admiral who signed my evaluation. And he, he knew who I was because I wore a name tag, you know. Um, so so it's like, why is this person doing your assessment? Yeah. Well, and you have their, their level. So the person closer to me actually was the one who submitted it and supposed, supposedly wrote it because you aren't actually, by, by the rules, you aren't supposed to write your own. But in practice, you do because nobody else knows what you're doing, you know, to that level. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, let's do things from the military yeah. in this case. <laughs> well, Sarah, let's go to you. And then uh, Linda Ann and Dr. Wesley, we're going to come to you. Interestingly enough, Lee, I actually am really good friends with the person who picked up the contracts recently to help with the Navy situation. So um, hopefully it will be done correctly this time. She's pretty brilliant. So um, no, I just, I want to start by saying, I think it's really important that um, maybe for the duration of the conversation, we'd say evaluation, if we're talking about employee performance and then assessment, if we're talking about something being used for predictive modeling and that sort of thing um, to kind of either use for hiring or, you know, to, you know, assess need and that sort of thing. I think the, the differentiation will be helpful just so that the conversation is clear and our recommendations are clear moving forward. Um, there was an interesting comment in the chat about how even qualified individuals can um, insert subjectivity. That is absolutely 100% true. I think really um, it's about creating layers of um, bias control um, and just hoping that by introducing a number of layers that you're going to reduce it as much as possible. What that looks like is this. First, you start with asking the question, why are the assessments? And I, I'm speaking assessments, um, not necessarily um, evaluations right now. Um, why is it being used in the first place? What is it that you're trying to predict? What information are you trying to get from this? And is that assessment even appropriate to be used at all? Um, is it going to provide you a bunch of extraneous information that is not usable that could become subject to um, either, you know, people trying to manipulate the data or use it for their own agenda or something like that? Like, are you being targeted with your assessments or are you being loosey-goosey? So that's step one. Why are you using it in the first place? Second is I would hope that an organization would always outsource this type of thing, but that's in a perfect world. At the end of the day, it's up to what the organization wants to do, which is why a lot of the time I'll work with an organization and create an internal team 
Um, so basically I designed the program and then I hand it off to them after a six to nine month period. And then they run it from there. So I think that can be really effective as well. Um, I really just think it comes down to budget. It comes down to size. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge thing. How many people are we talking about um, running these assessments against? And also manpower. How many people do you have that are going to be managing this, you know, process from here on out? Um, if you don't have the manpower, if you don't have the people that have the experience to be able to do it, then yes, please outsource because there are many professionals out there and companies that have the ability to do this sort of thing and take the weight off of your shoulders. And with assessments, I want to say that assessments themselves can come under fire and practitioners can come under fire for not using them appropriately. And really what happens is people get lazy. Um, They stop doing the prep work. They stop asking all of the right questions and putting the correct battery together. Um, And so I think as practitioners and users of assessments, it's really important that we remain cognizant of this and uh, maintain our own ethical procedures when we go about serving a client. Yeah, agree 100%. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I I have a fairly, in my mind, a fairly clear delineation between what I made the assumption of the topic for today as assessments, which is what Sarah just mentioned, you know, the outsourced kind of before you hire and doing those kinds of assessments. To me, those are very different than doing the evaluative kind of assessments for performance reviews. And when you're looking at those performance reviews, I have some very clear opinions, but what's important to understand is that again, there's responsibility on the part of each individual to make sure that they are progressing against the standards that are set for them, that they are keeping records of that so that there's not that recency effect. So what have you done for me lately? I, you know, the past six weeks, you know, you didn't get the project done on time, but you know, that was, but the rest of the time you were um, knocking it out of the park. So there's a real responsibility, both on the side of the employee themselves and the person that's going to be evaluating them. And it's a, it's a very synergistic process um, and it's a not, a not a done to you kind of thing. Yeah, very good points. It's, it's uh, you know, as I'm learning right now, it's incredibly valuable to keep those notes on your progress and then learn who you actually have to inform of that. Because, you know, as, as someone in a new position, it's not often that clear about how that reporting chain works. Uh, Dr. Wesley, welcome very much to the show. Uh, I'm your mic and join us. And then Brendan, we're going to you. Hi, so uh, just from the perspective of somebody who is actively job searching and has taken several different types of these assessments within the last month, month and a half, uh, I get the feel that it's really determined on how large the organization is. So like I've uh, I've taken assessments for Amazon, which are really, really in depth. They do a cognitive and a uh, behavioral health one or a behavioral kind of um, assessment. Then I did, I've done one for Walmart. They did a scenario uh, kind of thing for their management kind of uh, positions. I did one yesterday, which was a really simple one. It just kind of like was a hey, are you really going to be a good fit for the organization? So I, I feel it's really 
one, what the organization is looking for, and then two, how large they they are or how much money they can spend on assessment, uh, because some of these assessments are really, really put together very well. But um, my my uh, experience is you don't ever get any results back. So like the company, the company gets the results, but you don't know how you performed. Uh, and the only time that ever worked out for me was the one I did yesterday, uh, just because I mentioned to the recruiter that I kind of designed some of those uh, behavioral questions like that. And he's like, oh, well, I'll just send you the results. So uh, I think um, that's kind of a, a component of it too. Like the job searchers just don't know. Um, and I don't know that if these companies are outsourcing those or not, but it, to me, it seems like they are hiring people internal and or using uh, another company's tool to, to do that. Like the uh, they'll use a, somebody else's assessment and just use that as their assessment. So, so do you find the quality of the assessment is dependent on the size of the organization and how much they're actually investing in these types of assessments? Does that do the quality? I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not really on the quality side. I think it's, it's more what they're looking for and how much money they can spend to get there. Um, and so, and then some of those assessments are also fairly in depth. And I would imagine that they probably have somebody on staff that can kind of break all of that data down and, and get to the, to the, uh, the meat of what they're looking for uh, as well. At least we hope they have someone on staff. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Hope so. All right, Brendan, let's go to you. So I wanted to piggyback on a point that Linda Ann had brought up about, you know, you're talking about assessments from the perspective of pre-hiring assessments, but then you also have performance evaluation and being an external consultant. I, I like to try to give the benefit of the doubt. Like I've always said to myself, well, a lot of these managers just got awful at doing performance reviews, but they're also pretty got awful at analyzing, you know, the, the new talent on the market. I can't tell you how many times, like we're, you're going, you're going like way down deep into this conversation about like, oh, well, like how is the behavioral, how's your cognitive? I was like, I've seen people reject people on resumes for the dumbest things, and they they would never even get to that assessment portion of it. So if you're talking about whether you need to outsource, yeah, companies like that, where they're nitpicking off of things like that, which I don't think are probably going to be legally defensible because there's probably some sort of adverse action in there, um, and anyone can nitpick that apart. But that's kind of where I always go with these kind of conversations is... Um, you can do whatever you want, but what's going to be most legally defensible and, and going to hold the organization, um, you know, keep them safe. And if when you do outsource it, you're, you're outsourcing it with the expectation that this person is not only taking on the burden of the legal aspect of it, but that they also know what they're doing if it were to come to that sort of action. Well, you know, I, I and Jeremy, I want to bring this back to you because I don't even think most organizations do a good job of hiring. You know, I, I at one point was working for a small post-secondary. This is a true story. I won't mention their name. But, you know, they, they were looking for people to join my faculty in my department. And, and I noticed that they were sending out the job notices on Indeed and Monster and all those, you know, big job uh, databases. But I said to them, you know, there's actual academic databases like 
academics, we actually go on these websites to look for a position. They had no idea that they were out there. <laughs> and then next time that, that they were hiring, did they use them? No. So, so Jeremy is, I mean, are organizations just bad at hiring assessments, evaluations? Uh, has it really gotten to a point where, like, if you really want to do this, you need to bring in an expert? Uh, word on the streets about six, seven years ago, at least that far back, is that HR, the whole system was broken and it had been for a very long time. And they knew it. They just didn't know what to do about it. I mean, everyone's going to have exp- different experience based on what they're talking to. These are the people I were, I were talking to. It's gotten a lot better. So, I mean, it's uh, they're, they're figuring out and a lot of it, they're being able to use technology. They're focusing a lot on the candidate experience which is important, which is another, um, if I forget, Tom, remind me, I probably just say it now. Um, the candidate experience is another reason to consider whether or not to outsource because you're gonna have a better candidate experience if you're outsourcing completely because it's gonna be less clunky. You're gonna have better tech um, and all the, and it's gonna be more accurate feedback. You, they're gonna have um, actual assessments that are more applicable towards to the, to the actual work, which increases the candidate's experience. Um, but um, it's when you look at it in terms of the Tom, what, bring me back a second. What, I went off track on, on my own. <laughs> well, it's just this notion that, I mean, really and truly, when you look at the, the whole palette of business, when it comes oh. to hiring and assessments, it's not being done well. Thank you. Yeah. So, and, and, and even, even with the hiring process, as many people are, are exploring, um, all the different job search sites, even applying for jobs is starting to get easier. It used to take, you know, people were saying it would take two hours because you have to go. Now you don't have to insert all of your information again, right? Sometimes it's just upload your resume. Don't worry about refilling out your job experience 20,000 times. So the technology is getting easier too, because they're realizing that they want good talent. They can't make it too difficult. The old thinking was we want to make it difficult because we don't want a ton of candidates that aren't qualified for the job that just see it as kind of matching. But now they have technology to weed through that. All the AI is weeding through all that stuff now. So in some regards, it doesn't matter how many people are applying because they're going to be able to to, to pull that out. And for those of you that are uh, applying, when you send your resume through, send it through with a Word doc instead of a P- PDF. Um, it used to be thought that the other way around was better because when you're looking at a PDF, it's nicer. But now you got to break through and the AI crawlers are more able to look at, uh, at, at the Word docs in terms of, of keywords and that kind of thing. So there's all interesting things that, that you can do. Pro tip of the day, there's something called Phrase Express that I've used for over a decade. Um, it's called Phrase Express, and it's just a little program you put in your in your computer, and you can type just put keyword things. So if you are typing in, like let's say you're in the job search and you're typing in, let's face it, industrial organizational psychology is a pretty long word. I just type in um, uh, asterisk io, and it types out the whole thing for me, right. So you know you have college professors that can that can type out you know a, a full page of, of standard feedback that they're going to leave. And just hit, you know, like uh, three letters. But Phrase Express is it's very good. Um, it's free. It's a, it's a free kind of thing. But especially for those of you who are finding you find yourself you're typing the same things over and over again, um, that can be very effective. I, I use it every single day, and I have for over a decade. So on that side note, back onto the candidate experience. 
there it's almost like with, you know, if anyone's gone to a hospital within the past, within the past five years, they're really focused on the candidate experience. I mean, you have people there, you know, the staff members are getting, you know, free Dunkin' Donuts cards if they get free feed, if they get good feedback. So customer experience, candidate experience, I've seen, and I've seen in the back end that it's actually getting better. On that note, everything, some there's money in everything. Someone's always looking at how to make money and competition, and it's good. For example, when you're looking at the candidate experience, there's they look at, all right, well, does screen size matter for the candidate experience when they're taking actual assessments? If it's on a mobile uh, app versus the computer, and a lot of the studies found no, but some of the studies, again, that's why you have multiple studies looking at the same thing, found that at basically a screen size increases, so does the candidate experience. So it's, it's better for them. Um, you know, we look at if you're in marketing, if you're in marketing and advertising, look at the use of white space. Space is good. So that's the good news to answer your question in terms of uh, are they, you know, are they not doing a good job? I think, I think, I think they're doing a very good job. I think that there's a lot of playing catch up. And the last note that I'll make is in, ter- in terms of outsourcing, you know, some companies outsource their entire HR, except for maybe some other, you know, other companies have a full blown HR. There's no difference really when we think about this particular topic, paralleling it to that. Bigger companies have HR, but they have their own comp and benefits department. They also have their own staffing and recruiting department. They also have their own training and development department. And that's all under the umbrella of HR. So unless they're going to have a completely different, if they're realizing that it's that important, a completely different umbrella for talent and assessment, then they might want to, if, if they don't have that capacity, that's a good indicator. It's a good self-check questions for organizations to know whether or not they want to, um, like the old buy versus build. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Sir, let's go to you. I just wanted to say really quickly that um, when it comes to outsourcing, it's it really does depend on the organization. I know that we're all going to sit there and say, it's better if we outsource. Um, it comes down to what are the goals of the organization? What is it that they're trying to do? Um, it's, so it's not the same answer for everyone. Um, so as practitioners, we can even be ourselves a little bit biased and say, oh, yeah, we absolutely should outsource everything to a practitioner um, <laughs> because you know it's better for our community. It's better for us. Um, but I can say that there are organizations that do it really, really well. Like I have to say Amazon, AWS, I, I, I don't know about the whole of Amazon, right? Because there are so many different facets as Jeremy just described. Um, they almost operate like own companies within the big overarching umbrella of Amazon. But I know that AWS, Amazon, I know their team. 
and they're incredible and they are doing it correctly. So, you know, it's, it, it really does come down to our, is the company taking the time to employ the correct people? Number one, Brendan pointed that out. Are we crap at hiring the right people? Yes, we are. People are getting turned away off of little bits and pieces from a resume. Second, I want to talk to any students that are potentially listening right now. If you are using job search aggregators as your first line to try to land a job, please contact me because that is the wrong way to be looking for a career. Um, If you're looking for a job, you need to be using LinkedIn and you need to be contacting individuals directly for informational interviews. That is how you get a job. Your resume, you should be, you should just be submitting that after the fact. Um, honestly, that it, it it really is much easier that way. Your chances of getting a job through applying through a job search portal are about 2%. If you do it the way that I'm describing, that jumps to like 80%. So if anyone would like me to walk them through a quick 15-minute demonstration on how to use LinkedIn to do that, I have no problems doing that for you because I want students within the IO field to be successful in landing the opportunities that they want to land. Um, And when it comes to assessments, yes, I'm an assessment junkie. I love it. It is my bread and butter. It is the thing I live and breathe for. I love it. I'm a nerd. Um, But I don't necessarily at the end of the day, believe that an assessment is always the right answer. So again, it comes back to us being good practitioners and being good consultants. If that's what you are, okay. Internal or external, it doesn't matter. The consultative process demands that you are delivering what is needed, not what you think is needed, but what they are asking for and trying to get them the end result that they want. I know that we have a tendency to be like the guardians of what is good in the work world. And I love that for many of us. And I think that's a really great path. But at the end of the day, if you want to survive as a consultant or a practitioner, you need to deliver on the objectives that you're, that you're, you know, you're, clients are asking for. Um, Now that doesn't mean you compromise your ethics. It just means that you use the route and you manipulate your methods in such a way that it complements the goals of the organization. I hope that makes sense and is fair. I think so. Um, And (laughs) is it just students that you want to talk to or can someone who is mid-level going from one position. Of course, of course. And you know what? I should probably put together like a little video or something just so that I could send it out really quick and easy. But it's something that I teach everyone that comes to me and is either making a career change or a career shift or something like that. And they're like, I'm struggling. I've submitted my resume and I'm not hearing anything. It's been crickets. And I'm like, that's because you're submitting your resume. Don't waste (laughs) your time. Don't do that. Um, There really are better ways now. And I really think the resume that as it traditionally stands is going to die. Um, And LinkedIn really is the future. Many companies are directly integrating with LinkedIn now and their recruiters are using very advanced tools and getting past those robots is like really difficult, but guess who you can get past. You can get past a human and a human is going to listen to you when you reach out and say, Hey, I see that you work in Amazon HR. Um, I, I, I'm really curious about what that's like, what that experience has been like for you. Um, would you mind letting me know what that looks like? You know, I mean, there's, that's just one example of one method, but there are a ton and I can show anyone that is interested, um, how to make sure that the person's active and everything else, um, just to make you more successful. And just for my own understanding, when we're talking about these types of assessments, are they just strictly, you know, 
paperwork you you fill out the you know the grid or is actually having a conversation with that person part of an assessment as well because I, I think honestly, the conversation is like yeah okay so it depends on what the assessment's being used for so if the assessment's being used as part of the culture like a lot of the tools that I use are meant to be integrated into long-term employee life cycle planning, right? So it's not supposed to be an assessment that you take upon hiring and then you never see it again. It's something that's supposed to follow you all the way through and it's supposed to become inherent within the organization, right? That's, that's just how it's designed. Um, so in that instance, and I actually prefer those because what's the use of an assessment if it just sits in a drawer, right? That's what I think. Um, the more information that you can get from that and coaching that you can get from that, the better. Now, I think that people within the company need to be trained up on how to do that coaching. But I think once they are trained up appropriately, then you can give them the keys to the car. You know what I mean? It's just as someone who is, listen, any job, it, it, you're coming in and you are facilitating learning and growth and you're handing over the baton. It doesn't matter what career, it doesn't matter what field we're talking about. So the more that we can enable people to do the right thing, the more likely they are to do the right thing. It's just a matter of articulating, hey, we need to slow down. We need to think, we need to ask the right questions and we need to plan. Um, and I think what happens is we see this new flashy thing and they're like, oh, well, so-and-so is doing that. I better be doing that too. And we try to implement it too quickly and we don't have the support we need and we don't have the information needed. And guess what? Now we find ourselves, you know, with litigation issues and all kinds of stuff because we were being lazy. So let's start from square one. Let's start from the beginning and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just slow down, ask the right questions and go step by step. This stuff is it's prescribed, it's written out and, and we have the research to back all of it up. Um, so yeah, I think HR holding hands with IO is really important. I think every HR VP head of a department should have an IO that is in their back pocket that they are talking to on the regular if they don't have one internally. I, I do think that's good business practice. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's a beautiful future, isn't it? Uh, Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I really like what Sarah was saying about, I think for a lot of the topics we discuss, sometimes we can get this dualistic perspective of it either belongs to consultants or internal, but I think that's the two-track path of an IO. You can either go internal and leverage your skills within an organization, or you can move to a consultant role. And I think in the assessment space, kind of like Sarah was saying, we have to be realistic around what's possible. So I have been a part of the consulting space around assessment, but from what I've seen, I'd love for you guys to question this or push it, but it's for executives. This is kind of an expensive consulting activity. I've seen very more expensive personality assessments like Hogan use, things like that, where then you're then hiring like an executive coach or a specialist to debrief the assessment. Um, and it's a full process and often it's for the C-suite level. Um, but I think it is calling into question a lot of things that we need to look at when we are using them internally. And to be brutally honest, I've seen this also maybe not follow best practices. I was working as an internal consultant, one organization, and they used the Wonderlic cognitive ability test and paired it with the predictive index, the PI, which I think Jeremy likes. So I would actually love to understand um, how that can be used in a good context because they were being very stringent with both. So 
So the IQ needed was like a very top percentage of the population and the like personality, like zigzag <laughs> is what it was at this company with the predictive index who had to be very specific too. And so it was calling into question whether or not we were causing adverse impact, you know, with these cognitive ability scores, cutoffs, as well as we were getting the same type of cookie cutter individual into the organization and not seeing the diversity that can come from having and leveraging many different personality types into um, our work. So I definitely think that no matter where we're operating, we do need to come back to the best practices that we learned through our IO education and make sure that we are using them in all contexts um, the best way. We can. Yeah, it, <laughs> this is where I get into trouble because, you know, the notion of we have to think about what is possible, you know, in the situation. I always want to push the envelope. Uh, it's like, well, this could be possible. Uh, but Jeremy, I want to come back to you because, you know, you and I talk a lot. and We focus quite a bit on the remote or hybrid workforce. But through all of this, you know, the, the entire change of being locked down in the last few years and, you know, finding new ways to be productive and profitable. But I'm also, you know, we're also seeing the great resignation. We're seeing the great retirement, the great migration. Is the relationship between the employee and the employer substantially changing? Are, are, you know, are we in the midst of something that we can't maybe even see because we're in it? But is, is, is there not a great shift occurring right now, even in the way we work and those relationships that maybe we haven't seen since the Industrial Revolution? There is. And I'm trying to think of how to tie that in to what Ariana was saying. Um, and Ariana, by the way, Sarah's your uh, predictive index lover. I love it. It was originally designed for the Air Force. So me having a military background, I jumped on that and it has 60 years backing it. But I have seen people implement that into their culture in such a way that it is like cult-like. So careful who your practitioner is. That's all I have to say. And um, a lot of the representatives for predictive index are not practitioners at all. So be careful who you work for or, you know, work with. So you're saying yeah. IOs would be good cult leaders. <laughs> Back to you, Jeremy. <laughs> Sarah, you might have to, we might have to talk. I, I'm trying, I'm trying to like the, the predictive index and I think I need to talk to you about it because you and I go back and forth. Yeah. So I, I, I have like multiple assessments in my pocket, right. But predictive index is one that I use very specifically and very strategically. And it's also one I use for really quick read back. So if I'm going to do, if I can, I'm going to help a student or something like that really quick. Um, I can get a big idea from their level of formality and stuff like that um, to kind of help them narrow down what they're trying to do really quickly. Um, and also with organizations with little, really large, large, large teams, um, I really feel like it can work. Um, as Ariana was mentioning, the lack of diversity is something that I actually really hone in on in my usage with it. Um, but if I'm using C, if I'm talking C-suite and I'm trying to get them to start being more, you know, introspective and all of that, yeah, PI is not the tool. So we could have a conversation offline about that if you like. Um, Tom, back to the changing environment. Yeah. And I'm trying to weave in uh, the Ariana, Sarah's thing. So you asked if the relationship is changing. Yes. And when I mean, you I've look at how, so looking at the talent, looking at, looking at bringing in new talent and, you know, being diligent and making sure that 
we're hiring for more of a culture fit. I think it also goes back to leaders knowing what really not, you know how sometimes you go to the store, you know what you need, but you don't really know what you need until you talk to the expert at the store and they tell you what they need, what you need. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, you know, we've all done this when you work with a client, they think they need one thing when they might need uh, another thing. Maybe someone's saying, oh, we need leadership training. Maybe they need to go back to the basics and hire people that are more uh, adept at being leaders in the first thing, right? So maybe we need to go farther back. When you look at this, what if, I mean, just take, for example, what if you have a leader who's, you're talking about the virtual workspace and you have a leader who's saying, I need a real go-getter on my team because my team keeps slacking off. So, all right, you guys use your assessments, hire someone who's highly driven, highly, all, all, you know, these different characteristics and doesn't really give it too much thought. That's what I need. Is it, or do you need someone who can bring the team together? Do you need someone who's not just individually motivated, who's going to be a great individual contributor and rolled all over the rest of the team? Don't you, do you really need someone maybe who's able to compensate for your lack of leadership? You're probably not going to say that to them, but that's really the thing. So you're looking at a completely different candidate now. So, I mean, it's, it's important for leaders to take a step back and say, what do I really need right now? And what am I really, what are we really hiring for? Because when you're looking at, just like Ariana was saying, you know, well, we want this type of candidate, but you're not, and you're excluding some of the other ones. It's important to look at. So I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in my brain right now, I'm thinking of the six TPF, which, which is you have, there's two different um, versions. There's one for those that are uh, leveled and qualified for this comprehensive one. There's also a competency development report that's used from your HR managers. And it's 20, you know, 20 different um, factors, but it's important, you know, define, you know, who, who am I looking for right now? What's going on right now? What happens if I hire someone with these particular, that's high on these three or five levels in this? What happens then? And it might not take more than 20 minutes, but that 20 minutes, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Leader is going to save you a lot of headache on the back end because then you can bring it, then you can start to have a discussion. And if you're outsourcing for your assessments, you can have a discussion with the person you're outsourcing with and say, what do you, you know, what do you think about this? You've seen a lot of this. So it's important to go because yes, the relationship is changing. Companies are, a lot of companies are starting more to hire for culture fit and, a lot of companies are still putting out fires when they hire, and that's not good. You can't you can't go about your hiring process with "I don't have time for this. I got to get to the next thing." And especially when you're talking with executives, I, I've seen so many times when executives they're not even they say, "Well, can I spend a half hour maybe with someone that I'd be working with?" This is a super important job, very high paying. No, 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 nobody, nobody's. It's not a way to go about that. Tom, you look like you had a son. Well, it, it, you know, as we talk about this, my thoughts are, you know, I'm a, I'm of the age that I could have been in a company leadership position for the last 20 years, but I'm not sure my leadership skills from 20 years ago are the leadership skills I need today. So what type of assessments do we have for leaders? <laughs> there's all kinds. I see Linda's got her, her hand up. So I won't be, there's, Oh, there, there's great assessments to predict for, for a leadership ability. I mean, most people are familiar and there's some here that are certified in the Hogan. Some people, you know, you don't, you don't, I'll kind of go back over this. If you're at a certain level of education and you've done this kind of thing in your kind, you don't, not everyone has to waste their modification. Certification is $4,000. 
you can get these assessments and use them. But again, know your competency level, go through the technical reports. That being said, the Hogan has some, some uh, they're very good assessments for leadership predictability. The, the, I like the Hogan because there's something called the HBRI. It's the, the business reasoning inventory that looks at your business reasoning as well. So if you're in a leadership position, especially higher up, you know, what are your critical thinking skills? Are you more expedient, et cetera, et cetera. Um, even the 16 PF, it measures these, these personality factors, but it also has something for uh, your, your intelligence ability built, built right in there. And Sarah, you know, with the predictive index, it's called predictive index because predictive, that's what we're looking at. So there's, there's lots of great uh, assessments to predict uh, leadership ability. Well, it's great to hear there's the tools out there. I'm just not sure there's the desires from leaders to have themselves assessed. Uh, Linda, let's go to you. Yeah, I just, I wanted to comment on, on what, what Jeremy was, was talking about in that, you know, if you have someone within an organization who says, oh, <clears throat> I need to uh, hire the right person because my whole team's slacking off, right? My question is, is how accurate is that perception really? You know, what are they, are they really slacking off or is he just not aware of how to evaluate that in this different environment? You know, and then when you go ahead and, and with this kind of environment and you're talking about hiring for culture, if you're doing that in different cities, the work culture, the work ethic is different in different cities as well. In other words, you know, when I lived in the DC area, it was kind of, there was like a competition who could stay later for work. You know, that didn't mean you were productive. That just meant, oh, I didn't leave till nine o'clock last night. If I, you know, and I'm not that kind of person, I, on occasion I would do that, but I was more of a, you know, hit the ground running, go gangbusters to five and I've got stuff to do. And that's the Colorado environment, right? And I remember someone telling me that they someone from back East was here and he thought all the workers were slackers, right? And he wanted to fire them all. And she's like, oh, so that you can hire some other people that are just like them because that's the way that it is here. So I think that um, you really need to think about, you know, is it a real perception that people are slacking off? And then um, how is it different than if you're from Boston and you're managing a bunch of people from South Carolina? Wow, that's really different. Well, with what that you know that with now the global work community, the notion that you know if I'm working in Spain, you know don't contact me between twelve and two because we don't work between twelve and two. So that you know once again that cultural shift is it's on the way. Lee, let's go to you. You know it, it's I think that uh, the more I see on LinkedIn and everything else, and, and you know about the global economy and all this kind of stuff. The, the key, I think, to all of this and the organizations that are going to survive and thrive in this environment are the ones who the leaders are self-aware and flexible. And, you know, the, these assessments we're talking about, whether, you, whether they're internal or external or extraterrestrial, it doesn't really matter if the people aren't willing to really give it credence. And if you don't... Uh, and, and, you're talking about the work center. If you don't actually know what's going on and you don't trust the people to tell you what's going on, um, you know, it, isn't it amazing how all of our previous conversations tie into this one? Uh, that 
you know, when you come in and you work with these people and you say, okay, well, we, you need a certain kind of person and then you have to take into account where are they? What kind of work ethic and, and culture is there? Is it another country? Is it another time zone? Is it another uh, primary language? And, you know, you have to actually take all that into account when you're giving these assessments, because if you give the assessment, like, you know, like Linda Amazon, like if you give the assessment to someone in Colorado and you give it to someone in, in D.C., you know, they may say very, very different things, but both be appropriate to the job or not. So yeah, there, there's a whole lot to unpack and a lot of, the, you know, and the, the bigger these organizations get and the more broad and the remote work and everything else. I mean, uh, man, is there a lot of fertile ground for us right now? <laughs> I, I, I'm right now going, I should have gone into the IO career field instead of acting. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been more successful. Uh, but Jeremy, I, I kind of want to bring this back to you because, you know, speaking of that acting background, I know as an instructor that I was teaching acting in a method that was being taught all over North America uh, in most places of, in Europe. But if I had gone to teach in a school in Japan where the culture is different and their notion of theater is somewhat different, that that traditional training in theater would have been very, very different. Now that we're working in the global you know, economy and community, is there a difference between, for example, an IO and what I might hear from them uh, in North America as opposed to somewhere in Asia? Are, 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 are there different you know, philosophies as well in that field? Or is it fairly universal? You know, that's a good question. I begin to think about this more and more. I've seen the, the bigger IO centers in um they, you know, if, if overseas, they call it's just called organizational psychology, right? So they, they dropped it. They dropped the industrial part. Um, I've seen the biggest centers for organizational psychology and not centers, but people with IO degrees away or our, there's IO in South Africa, the UK and uh, India. That's where, that's where I'm seeing. And I don't know. It's interesting because the field is so for it's it's the oldest newest field you've ever seen in your life. You know, hundred years old, but nobody's ever heard. And those who are, are still trying. That's why you know. And again, you know, shameless plug. That's what we're doing with CBOC is trying to finally bring everyone together and 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 get you know the answers to those very questions that that you're asking. And in terms of the um, the global nature of it. I don't know. I mean, if anyone does go ahead and speak up, but I'm just going to guess that there's, there's no one here today that says, Oh, I know I, I can speak to the parallels and the com com comparisons and contrast between these other geographic regions because it's so such an old field. The uh, those connections just haven't been made in terms of global types of events um, to get together global connections. Interesting question, Tom. Well, maybe CBOC will foster those connections. Foster. Uh, speaking of which, tell us a little bit about CBOC and where, what's happening these days. Oh, so next week's, uh, next week's, I just had it up too. <laughs> next week's event is going to be called Drumroll while I pull it up. And it is running list. How to use healthy competition to spark productivity in teams especially in virtual teams. So how to use healthy competition. Um, other updates, uh, I gotta say, so we've got, I think we've got six six of the Pathfinders that are here 
Pathfinder members that are here uh, with us today. So Tom's so specific for Pathfinder. Tom's course just la just launched on um, everything you need to know for voice and speech. We have these mini courses launching. I have one next week that's going to be launched for psych and FBI uh, communication for seeing and leading conversations. We also, and I'll give a tip right now. We also have a resume course that's going to be coming out probably within three to four weeks. Um, there are, and here, here's a, one of the, the quick tips that are in there. There's um, ser free services online where you can upload your resume and see how the AI is crawling it and if it's actually showing up because sometimes the way they're formatted, they might not really work. There's one, there's something called resumeworded.com, skillsinker.com, and there's resunate.com, R-S-R-E-S-U-N-A-E.com that we found. I get these that uh, you can run, you can just upload your resume. It'll, it'll run it if, you know, if you're not getting your hits and these right. uh, contacted, you, they're not, if the keywords aren't pulling. Um, also, we've, uh, we started, we have our first game time. So we're going to play Mind Trap for the IO Pathfinder members. It's going to be fun. Love playing Mind Trap. While back there, we were doing it. Yeah. Uh, um, so the first one is next Thursday and we're going to do it right at one o'clock, right after our, um, our weekly meeting. And we'll probably do that every two weeks. So it's 30 minutes. You can't, you know, it, it's so much fun. It's, it's a mind trap. It's lateral thinking puzzles. It'll challenge the way you think. So I'm, I'm super about that, but it's a nice way to get together, you know, meet the, the IO experts and the members. So, um, and of, and of course, what's going on there, Tom, back to you, lest I continue. Well, and if you are a Pathfinder member, uh, go ahead and do that free voice and speech program. Uh, there's five areas that, you know, I think we should start to look at when you're just starting off. But then if you got any questions, just book half an hour with me and we'll go over it. Uh, the support that you're building, Jeremy, for the IO community, especially those people who are just starting their careers, uh, is incredible. Um, have we come to any resolution today about our topic? <laughs> Oh, Sarah just said, I heard Sarah gave a no, because again, it's going to go to depends on the company and, and what Sarah said, what their particular needs are, what their particular goals are. Um, I, I think we've given a really good runway for companies to start to better understand. Um, does anyone have a closing? I feel like somebody has a thought that they just are. I do. It's me. You could go. hear it. I was trying to telepathically send it to you, Jeremy, but it wasn't working. So, um, worked. <laughs> so I think, um, as you said, creating that runway, but it's all about empowering decision makers because no one is trying to wake up in the morning and do the wrong thing. I don't know a single person that does. I don't know a single person that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do the wrong thing today. Everyone has the best of intentions. It's just about empowering them with the right tools and information to be successful. So as practitioners, the more that we can do that and the more that we can help the people around us, because that's why we're IOs in the first place, most of us, right? And because we wanted to make a little dough, all right? Um, just go out there and do the right thing and empower others to do the right thing as much as possible. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be. <laughs> and Jeremy, I think maybe that's a good place for us to wrap it up. Sounds good. Excited for next week. Thank you, everybody, for attending, speaking. Beautiful stuff. Closing out in 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs>